You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello, welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Uh, together with my co-host, uh, the venerable Johnny Venerable, uh, we try to have your complete cards coverage for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, John is still getting settled in to his new Arizona digs, so I'm joined uh, as a special guest this week with our site host, uh, Seth Cox, is joining me today, and we are also... Uh, I was going to say, Seth, you're also the host of a, another podcast that's coming back, the Original Draft Breakdown Podcast. Uh, it's been a little long time, at least, since we've seen that one. I know, Seth, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, just some of the decisions for bringing that podcast back, at least, and plug a little bit for those who uh, kind of listen for maybe a bit more of a draft or maybe draft Twitter, just some of the overall draft community, at least, for why you decided to kind of bring that all back now. Yeah, we, uh, Justin and I did it for about uh, four years and had a, a great time with it and uh, different iterations. And then, uh, you know, life uh, kind of happened. Uh, I uh, started a new career. Justin had their, or Justin and his wife had their second child. So uh, we decided to put it on the back burner. Uh, went to go bring it back last year and, uh, and of course, the pandemic hit, so that uh, that got put on the back burner again. Uh, and then, you know, it just kind of felt like we this was the right time um, to bring it back. You know, we uh, decided to go with a little bit different format. We're doing uh, a free show every week, and then we're doing a a, a Patreon account. So. Uh, we can, you know, justify to our wives why we're busy twice a week and uh, watching so much football and things of that nature. So we're excited, but, uh, you know, it's, we're back and uh, we've done three episodes now and, and it's been uh, it's been fun and we're just, you know, ready to get back going talking about the, the NFL draft in a, you know, in a different, unique and kind of uh, fun way than what most places do. Yeah, I was going to say, especially it's important with the draft this year, given the fact that their uh, pandemic uh, officially seemed or so started last March, around March 11th, around this time. The NFL Combine had already ended, uh, so most of the draft work that went into that had been finished, whereas this year, a lot more as far as with pro days, kind of sorting through that. So definitely recommend if you are into the draft, either from a Cardinals perspective or if you're just a football fan in general, I definitely do recommend that as well as... Uh, if you like our site manager want to send him and his buddy a little bit of beer money, always uh, feel free at least to be able to go and subscribe there. Seth, let's go and shift. Um, I know last year we had you on kind of to sum up some of the Cardinals season. In a similar manner here, the Arizona Cardinals, by finishing 8-8 eight and eight without a playoff appearance, I guess a lot of people are not sure of what to make of them, and that seems to be the case for just about any 500 team. There was improvement, obviously, but there wasn't quite the leap a lot of fans were anticipating after they started off with a 5-2 and two and then 6-3 and three record. What do you think are the expectations that people should have looking forward to? Is this a spot where we're expecting the Cardinals to improve is what we kind of are feeling from what they were at this season? Is it a spot where they maybe overachieved a bit? What kind of do you think at least is 
how the season ended, what is it the fans should be looking for? Because obviously no one was content with the way that 2020 ended, unfortunately, for the Cards. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where it was a step in the right direction, but I think the, you know, the, like you said, the five and two, six and three start changed uh, the perception and, and what Cardinals fans expected. And and that became unfortunate because at the beginning of the season, if you said, Hey, they're going to finish eight and eight, you were like, okay, good. I mean, three game improvement They're They're on their, the right track. Uh, but, you know, to start five and two and finish three and six, that, you know, definitely changes people's perception of how the season went. Uh, there was, you know, clearly improvements in a lot of ways, mostly that of, of Kyler Murray uh, the def- and, and the defense. But I think there were um, unexpected regressions, you know, talking about especially the offensive line. You saw regressions in the running game. Um, and then, uh, you know, you, you saw weaknesses become glaring weaknesses. I think the biggest one being the – the, the wide receiver position, you know, obviously opposite of, of all pro DeAndre Hopkins because you started to see that's literally the only guy on this team that makes consistent plays. Um, and and so for that, you you know, you you just grew your expectations and what you needed uh, from this team. And I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they go about addressing it because – the the first move of the offseason that you and you and Johnny talked about last week was JJ Watt and obviously anytime you add a player even at his age the caliber of JJ Watt you're going to be better the issue becomes at what cost and and you know you and Johnny talked about it I, I've written about it signing JJ Watt's a good thing and I don't want anybody to think that anybody thinks it's a bad thing but with the needs on the team that was definitely not i would say in the top three needs uh, but you know it, it's an improvement and it'll, it'll make the team better the thing you have to hope for and jess and i talked about this on the rise up see red podcast the other day was that um the the cardinals need Chandler Jones and JJ Watt to create uh, a, a phenomenal amount of pressure. They need to be uh, guys that, whether they lead the league in sacks, I mean, obviously that would be even better. But they they need to be two of the top five players, and this team needs to lead the league in pressures um, because that will take you know pressure off the Cardinals woeful cornerback room at this point uh you know maybe maybe they'll be okay and they'll be able to do you know some different things uh, this offseason but uh, at this point it seems like cornerback is going to be one of the biggest question marks going into the season and so with that you hope that adding player a player like watt takes that pressure off the team and they're in turn able to, you know, improve again by two, maybe three, three games. And, and most importantly, get to the playoffs. I mean, 
Obviously, if they finish eight and eight and back their way into the playoffs, fans will still have question marks. But, you know, if they get to nine and seven or, or 10 and six and make the playoffs, that's still nothing but an improvement for this team. It's just yesterday that we remember the team was three and 13 and woefully underperforming. A lot of what you said, I think, is good as far as with the Cardinals last season. They didn't struggle as much in the, against the pass. Statistically, they actually were worse against the run. And I remember the first time when some of the Watt news, we were finding out that it was a possibility a few days before the signing broke. I remember the immediate reaction was like, oh, no, like, how much are they going to have to overpay for this guy who is notably an impact maker when on the field but had his first 16-game season was just last year. And I think over time, like when you said you look at what was being pursued – Despite the fact that maybe the Cardinals offered him $15 million, I know there's some who had said that he took less to come there, but that's you know it's never always the case. You always find out behind the scenes that players want to go where they get paid, and if they do end up taking less, it's because they're expecting a big payday and don't settle for less. It made me think back to where we talked about the importance of the lines for the Cardinals and how they essentially have had to rebuild their line and a lot of other places from scratch outside of maybe you know a healthy DJ Humphreys and the likes of Corey Peters, having a difference maker on the defensive line was something that we really did not see. They, like you said, signed Jordan Phillips to be that player. Having Watt as a guy who can flex into that defensive tackle spot may be an additional boost. I, I think you look back at, like you talked about, the corners. For the Niners in that Super Bowl, you talk about their defense, and you talk about, obviously, Richard Sherman's the one, but as far as Emmanuel Mosley, Jaquiski Tart, I know you're a big Jimmy Ward fan, overall have been, but it wasn't like it was this elite Legion of Boom type secondary. They just had a really strong up-front pass rush, adding Nick Bosa to the likes of DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and essentially the way that they built that defense was solid despite the fact that their corners weren't like this all pro <laughs> they still were able to get pressure on the quarterback force bad plays and i believe were number one against the pass for the majority of that season if not number two that's something that'll be curious to see with why and also maybe some of the team identity shifting a bit um between that and then also with some additional kind of questions with the offensive line um we'll talk a little bit about some of that news it seems like the cardinals are ultimately pivoting in a little bit of their direction away from maybe this whole wide open air raid spread we've talked about how the evolution of you know what's going to be your team identity we saw last year arizona it was they run the football with kyler throw it up to hopkins take a few deep shots to kirk it seemed like over the course of the season they just seemed to get weaker on the offensive line despite not having as much injuries we heard at least some of the news that came out around just before the Watt situation was uh, talking a bit about Josh Jones, who we looked at as potentially being, you know, he's drafted. It was like, all right, this guy may be a potential starter at the right tackle spot across from DJ Humphreys. Now it seems like if they want to move him to guard, maybe it's for a year, maybe it's longer. Um, looking back on some of the film, some of the messages, I think we talked a bit about how it looked like the center position needed to improve somewhat and from what we've also seen the team at least in the most part and we'll get into some of this with the question later it seems like they're also content to move away from larry fitzgerald at least you know doesn't seem like he's signing for 11 million but what do you think as far as is going to be the identity of this team moving forward is this going to be 
a spot where we'll look at running it back from what they were at in 2020? Or is there going to be a bit more of a shift of saying, hey, like we had the number one rushing offense at one point. We just got to tighten up a few pieces at least and make that more of their identity, which would be kind of a surprise to people who had maybe expected some of this Kansas City air raid, you know, throwing the ball around downfield. What do you think that we can expect for the Cardinals when it comes to that type of team identity and position from some of the moves and talk. It, it's tough because I think there's a split on what they want to be and what they want to do. You have a strong, um, you know, love of, of running the football from Sean Kugler and Steve Kime. And it's not that Cliff Kingsbury doesn't like to run the football, but he, in you know, he does like the to throw the ball around. Um, I think the identity of this team is going to be, I mean, ideally what they would want is it to be a, a balanced team, a team that can win in multiple ways, which is something we didn't see last year. Uh, you know, they, they kind of went as the running game went outside of maybe the Philly game, right? Like if they were running the ball well, they seemed like a team that was in control. If they were, uh, not running the ball well. They seemed like a team that was struggling to find plays on the field, um, even including with DeAndre Hopkins, because it seemed like teams could bracket Hopkins and then force them to do different things. All of that being said, I think their their goal is to be a team that uh, stars a kid in, in Kyler Murray who can get you 4,000, 1,000 and be the first, you know, player in NFL history to do that. And I think that's a good thing for them and, and what they want to be. The question is, are they able to, you know, reach that goal? And it, you're right. It does start up front because we saw that Kyler is more than good enough to evade and keep plays alive but once his mobility gets gets um, compromised, you know, whether by whether it was by that shoulder or at the end of the season by the ankle, it becomes a it becomes difficult to see him um, dominate games. He's still a good quarterback, but he's not this MVP candidate that he was in the first seven. Uh, the thing that everyone I think looks at as far as was progress was made in terms of unlocking his rushing ability. We saw in, from 2019, it was almost, you know, it was like maybe not proving he was a pocket passer, but there were times they would call runs maybe one or two times a game. I think back to the Tampa game where offense was struggling, Cliff dialed up a design run and he just took off. It seemed like it sparked a bit more of the offense. That was much more common throughout 2020, and like you said, it was almost when teams started to take away the deep ball, play two safeties back, daring Arizona to run, you'd just get in all sorts of game situations where they'd be on, you know, someone said they're on fourth and one with a running threat like Kyler Murray, and teams almost knew that he wasn't going to run the ball, <laughs> and they just essentially played it for, where he just handed the ball off, and the Cardinals were not able to pick up some of these clutch important downs or just being able to convert a lot of it I think at least was as we saw their third down passing offense was just not very efficient if the pass was not going to DeAndre Hopkins you know occasionally you'd see a time like Kirk or Fitzgerald um, 
But for the most part, it just felt very stunted and it felt like that there was just a lack of growth there. I think that's one of the things they'll have to change and overcome some and just being able to, uh, like you said, being able to have that type of road grading team that is able to pick up some of those downs and protect Kyler in a different way. Because you don't need to have an all-pro line for him, but being able to at least have a steady presence. I think Mason Cole, from what we saw with him, uh, we'll get into some of that with some of the free agents, just finishing that conversation, just seemed very much like the Cardinals are recognizing that the center position is not one that gets highly paid in the NFL. It's not even highly drafted. I think there was a whole study they did on first-round centers usually end up being... um, a disappointment unless you're talking about uh, the, the Colts kid for the most part at least. Um, usually you can find one who's solid and as long as you don't have someone who's weak or a liability you're able to pretty much perform like normal. We saw that with AQ Shipley and even Lyle Sunline for a number of years with this team. When it comes to finding their future center it does sound like that they aren't seeing that in the likes of Mason Cole. Uh, we have seen at least as far as that another, uh, some of the news that we talked about with uh, Tanner Vallejo signing another deal with the Cardinals. Uh, Walter is one of the writers on our site. He's kind of maybe Tanner Vallejo's number one fan, I'd almost call it. Uh, he just was very effusive of how he was uh, much more of a downhill linebacker, undersized as usual, because that's what the Cardinals tend to do. Uh, the other with Robert Alford being released, uh, Everyone kind of knows that he was likely going to be released. He was going to cost the Cardinals a whole bunch of money for staying on the roster. He already did by not playing. The other thing that was interesting was this was the, the kind of three big things of news was between Watt, Vallejo, and Alford. The one thing that wasn't some news was Larry Fitzgerald. And some people have wondered if that lack of news has meant that, you know, does this mean Larry Legend could be like Larry leaving where he would potentially go and visit a Tampa Bay on a one-year deal, try to win with Bruce, or is this going to be, you know, holding out until training camp comes, coming in for maybe a one-year $5 million deal? Is this something, at least with the Cardinals, that when we're looking at free agency, how important is Fitzgerald to this team in terms of, is it a spot where do you think that fans will want him back? Since we haven't even talked about him in a number of weeks, and it just feels like at this point, how much of this is a media type of narrative as far as, you know, Fitzgerald, is he coming, is he going, where we've kind of reached the end of that, and obviously the end of a tremendous era. Or is this kind of a spot, at least, where if you're a Cardinals fan and Fitzgerald isn't coming back, what would the concern level be as far as if he takes a look at this team as a chance to come back, maybe take a little less, see the team get back to the playoffs and decides to hang it up instead. What are your thoughts, at least there, on Larry before we take a look at some of the uh, rest of the Cardinals roster behind the guy? He's probably storyline number one every single day. People wait for some sort of announcement, and we're not getting it. Yeah, somebody texted me the other day, and it was actually kind of thought-provoking is – what if the Cardinals finally drew a line in the sand with Larry on salary? I mean, the salary went down, what did it go down, 18 million-ish um, for the cards because they carried over some. It went down about 7 or 8 million-ish. And you would think that he can see the writing on the wall, that they're potentially going all in, uh, you know, JJ Watt tells you that, but that 
they need the extra money that they have some plans in place that we'll get to shortly. At least we'll speculate about shortly. Um, and, and decide, you know, are you willing to continue to chase records and potentially a ring for two years and 11 million instead of one year and 11 million? Um, and, and maybe that is the question to them is, you know, is it worth it to put my body through this for another year, two years, uh, to, to continue to push myself and punish myself? Um, or, you know, do I hang it up knowing that statistically speaking, I'm the second greatest that that's ever graced the football field. Right. And, and I, I think that's a fair question that is asked. It's a fair question. I I think also some of when you're looking at the Cardinals for each season, part of the reason why we always had believed that Larry was going to be back on a one-year $11 million deal was because there was no alternative. The Cardinals had, after Michael Floyd was let go from the team, after John Brown had uh, whatever sort of falling out and health issues you want to look at, it was pretty clear that they needed another option. And at the time when he came back before the 2020 season, there was no DeAndre Hopkins trade. And even if the Cardinals at that point had decided to, you know, let's say that the Hopkins trade wasn't happening, you weren't going to get it likes of Stephon Diggs, Amari Cooper was going back to Dallas. You're probably going to need a veteran wide receiver, even if you had to go wide receiver at eight. So that move made sense. Once you started paying two wide receivers, that I think is what maybe some of the change went where the line in the sand was probably more likely drawn, not necessarily even of, hey, we love you and want you back, but more of you didn't need to have two wide receivers paid at that amount. You didn't even need to have Fitzgerald at that amount since you were bringing in the, you know, the, a wide receiver for the most part who was going to be carrying you for the next four to five years and be that type of dominant force that we saw that Hopkins was. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, I think at least it's pretty clear that whatever goes on with Larry, the team is likely aware of whatever his plans are going to be I think it would seem very much like that it would be more toward either coming back around training camp, and if not, then I could see a retirement ceremony perhaps later, and they're leaving the decision to him because, you know, one thing you look at with the likes of Kyle Long coming back or how Brett Favre went all the time, I don't see Fitz as being the type of guy who he hangs it up, thinks about it for a year or two, you know, or takes a job in the booth like Bruce Arians did, and then comes back. It does feel like it's much more of a final decision, and that may be if this is the kind of last hurrah that he had is perhaps why it's taking so long is because he has to really, really make sure. But it's it's hard then to see if that was going to be the case to have him sit out the Rams game, not play at all, to if it was a chance to know it was his last game. It, it's been very it's been interesting with the mixed signals, and a lot of that I think is some of that's just the way I think Fitz may like it. <laughs> like he, He's obviously a very humble guy, but he's an Arizona sports legend, and to simply just kind of treat him like he's going to be a – some type of you know player trying to extend his career like a Terrell Suggs did, I think, is almost a disservice to what he's done. Yeah, definitely, and it, you know, it'd be like you said. I think it'd be a mutual understanding of what's going on, and you know, I would feel like if it was if it was a well known situation that there would have been a leak already to this point. Um, so you do have to wonder if it's just strictly they're trying to decide what they're what their plan is overall. 
That would make a lot of sense. Uh, let's go and play a little uh, kind of exercise here. So uh, I originally had Robert Alford in this list. I've got six players on the Cardinals who are currently free agents, were Cardinals on the team last year. Of those, we want to pick three Cardinals that we think could be back with the team and then three Cardinals who could be gone from the team. So with Robert Alford cut, I removed him from this equation. I think he has a chance to come back, but I was more curious to say so we've got three bigger names and then three names that weren't as big. We've got Patrick Peterson as one. We have Hassan Reddick. we got Kelvin Beecham with those three starters. And then you've got the likes of Marcus Golden, Ezekiel Turner, and Trent Sherfield. So... Looking at the team with how it's set up, it would not shock me if it's Peterson leaves, if Reddick leaves, and if maybe you would have to pick between Zeke or Trent Sherfield. I could see the Cardinals moving on, at least from Trent wide receiver style. Would you have something different? Do you think there could be more of a chance that one of Peterson or Reddick could be back with the team, or could they move on from the likes of a Kelvin Beecham to a different spot? I think... When you look at it, it's one of those situations where they probably have put a number out to Reddick and Peterson and said, this is the number. If you can find better, go get it. And and so that's the that's going to be the intriguing thing. I mean, you look at Reddick specifically, There's this is probably the best uh, free agent class of pass rushers we've ever seen. Um, he just keeps having bad luck, it seems like, right? Well, it's not just bad luck, but, I mean, you look at it, you've got a guy similar to him in Bud Dupree. I mean, that was a bit of a bust uh, and then had a big contract year and then and then got played on the franchise tag and then was having a nice year, but got hurt. Uh, so, and then you've got a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, who's, you know, already been paid uh, and and kind of worn out his welcome in three spots. Not that he's a bad teammate or anything like that. It's just, you know, he's like pass rushers usually don't bounce around like that, right? Uh, especially super productive pass rushers. Then you've got, you know, a player in the, uh, in the Carl Lawson uh, vein who's, you know, been productive, more more consistently and then you know so you've got all of these things working against Hassan Reddick and then oh by the way uh the salary cap is massively different than what what it was last year sure so for me I think you're probably gonna see if Reddick gets over 10 million a year then he's gone. If he's not going to get 10 million a year, unless it's just he's he he goes the Tyron Matthew route, and we could say this about uh, Patrick Peterson as well. Unless it's the Tyron Matthew route, where you're just so offended that the team that you played for and grew up under uh, doesn't ha want you back, that you'll take less, like Matthew did to go play for the Texans and prove yourself, so you can go get another big contract. Um, I, you know, I, I think they'll be back. Having said all that, uh, I think that Peterson is gone and I think that Reddick is going to be gone as well. Yeah. For me, I, I would agree with each of those. I could see Hassan Reddick being back, like you said, on a, a one year, $8 million deal, uh, kind of similar to the Kenyon Drake 
transition tag without necessarily being the tag. It's just bringing him back, and we've got a spot for you here to start. I think that they would almost prefer the Marcus Golden route, despite the fact that Golden is maybe not as, um, as far as athleticism goes. However, he's much more as far as the when you look at the type of player, he's a smart player. You got to see a lot more of the turnovers, and I think that he fits in nicely as a pass rusher to the point where you know you could be able to put Chandler Golden and JJ on the field and rush the passer, and you could probably be able to have at least assuming Chandler's back to health, and that's that's something we'll have to see. There's uh, definitely going to be questions about him and Watt as far as if they're going back to their traditional selves, then you're going to be in for a heck of a ride. If they're not, then Reddick is kind of your, in case of emergency, break glass type of signing in case Jamler Jones suddenly fell off of the face of the earth. Um, or just to try to bring him back to win it all. I do agree with you that with all of the teams that have, in some cases, a lot more cap room, that some of these teams are going to look at the Cardinals and be like, all right, we're going to be willing to pay you a little bit more, Hassan. Same type of a one-year deal, because I think there's a lot of players who are going to be disappointed, unfortunately, by what teams offer. They pay the one-year deal. It's going to be a bit more than Arizona is willing to offer because Arizona's spent some of that money on the likes of Watt, and there's probably, like you said, a limit that they have with Golden. The, the interesting one to me is if you have to choose between the likes of a Zeke Turner or a Trent Sherfield, I believe that Zeke Turner is a restricted free agent, so I believe that that would be, you know, it should be, I think it's an undrafted free agent tag, if I'm not mistaken. Sherfield is someone who is interesting because he's a guy that you see is close to a lot of the players on the team, a guy who's been great as far as a special teams gunner, Never has really been able to make that Jerron Brown type leap or Jerron Brown type, you know, wide receiver for impact. Um, you know, you sometimes don't want to make emotional decisions when it comes to it, and the NFL is around for a certain amount of time. But what do you th- are your thoughts, at least, on some of those core special teams players, um, especially given the fact that the Cardinals' special teams was probably the best that we've seen it in years in 2020? I think you expect to see all their core special teams guys back. Um, Obviously, like you said earlier, Vallejo's back already. I think they'd like to bring back uh, Turner. I think they expect to bring back Sherfield. And then I think you can go from there. I think they expect to bring back Chris Banjo, Charles Washington. Um, You know, the guys that, like you said, made them a great special teams unit, at least in in terms of coverages and things of that nature. Uh, You know, the kicking game and, and those things were a little... I don't want to say suspect, but at times were a little questionable. Uh, but but overall, I think that you expect all those key contributors on special teams to be back just because, like you said, their price tag shouldn't be huge. You should be talking, you know, maybe for all of those guys, five five million in cap money. Yeah, and you got all those holes they have to fill. I, I do think also the fact that you're still looking at some of this lingering pandemic that's been going on, some of the consistency of having guys you already know, guys who you're comfortable with. Um, that's part of the reason why I could see Robert Alford even returning to the team. He's a guy who knows the scheme, knows the defense, could fill in. That, I think, makes a big difference as far as being able to Um, You know, some spots you can say you need to upgrade others. You're like, for that price, there's not really a need to try and go and spend a bunch of money to upgrade at those spots. 
Yeah, and I think that's an underrated part of all of it is that you've got, especially a guy like Banjo, who was not just one of the key special teamers, but your lead backup at safety. Uh, and so if you get him back at, you know, two million a year and then you round out the rest of the guys, I think that you're, that's, that's gotta be the goal because they, they all can contribute on special teams, but they're all heavy backup players that, you know, in a pinch can fill in. Obviously, you know, like you said, whether it was Sherfield or, or Charles Washington, you probably aren't playing them a ton, but for a series or two, it wouldn't be a big deal. Uh, that all goes back into where we try to focus, at least. Um, whether it's John and I's team, he spends a lot of time focusing sometimes on character, other things. I'm usually more of the tactile math numbers and sometimes even looking at team building strategy. Uh, some of that we're seeing with team building is coming to uh, addition by subtraction. And that would be with roster cuts. So we'll get in, we'll get into the free agency preview and then just some of the kind of overall draft sensor, uh, that type of, I guess you can say at least preview. But just before we do, there's three names that have kind of come up constantly that fans have brought up as far as with cuts. And that would be three veterans in Devon Kennard. Um, there's offensive guard Justin Pugh with uh, his contract. I believe he's supposed to make some, I think it's like save $4 million against the cap this year. And then... Jordan Hicks, who's been a starter, and a lot of fans, at least, honestly, I think probably have just not liked his level of play from where he was signed. Despite being a consistent tackler, some have wondered if you end up trying to, you know, take a bit of a hit, but bring in someone who maybe ends up being a bit of a upgrade. What are your thoughts, at least, on those players? Do you think that we'll see any of these types of cuts potentially before free agency begins, or, like, say the Cardinals are able to recruit and sign um, let's say it's either a wide receiver or a corner, cut said player at least to kind of stay under the cap once they have that player uh, kind of committed to them. Do you think that there's any cuts to expect, or is this something where we're probably overthinking this and these are three guys at least who are going to be back with the team next year who are solid contributors, albeit Kennard had a, a rough season and a rough go as far as injuries went? <laughs> so I wrote about it on Thursday night on Revenge of the Birds, actually, because that was the question was, um, are they going to join this kind of veteran football player massacre that's going on and and chop, you know, important key players, especially, you know, a guy like Devin Kennard, who, while he didn't play well last year, his playing time was, you know, down quite a bit. Uh, they don't have anybody. <laughs> I mean, they literally just don't have anybody else. And so you, you look at that and, um, or, or a Justin Pugh, are they comfortable enough with Justin, Mir Justin Murray and Josh Jones to be the guards? If they say, bring in a really veteran center and go, you know, veteran, young, veteran, young veteran along the offensive line with that group and, and really just kind of go from there. Um, you know, I think that there could be a surprise coming. The question becomes, is, and it's, it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show with Watt, is the subtraction enough? Or, you know, is the addition of money enough to overcome the subtraction? 
And right, that's right. what the question becomes. And I just don't know if, if you know, it's, I think it was, what, 14 and a half million if they cut Pew and Kennard. Is, is 14 and a half million enough to open not just one, but two holes in the starting lineup? And that's the question, at least. Uh, not to mention, even if you're talking, I, I firmly believe Hicks will be back. I know that some fans may be disappointed by that. Some of that, I think, is, like you said, the ability to have at least a smart veteran linebacker who, even though he's not the most athletic, is still able to be consistent as far as with tackles. Although he did have some struggles with that this last year, which was interesting to see down the stretch. Um, like you said, the team-wise, it seems like there's almost like this salary dump, take it or leave it, here's what we have for you. And it's going to be interesting to see with the Cardinals. I think that what we've seen with some of the likes of a Kevin Zeitler being released, we've seen even um, there's other guards that I think will be out there where I wouldn't think that you wouldn't be able to say, find a replacement and fill that spot. I guess like you like you said, it becomes almost a game of, um, you know, you try to replace a spot. You're not necessarily upgrading at the spot. You're just kind of saving a bit more money. I think that if you're of the Cardinals, you're trying to build a team that, you know, let's say that you feel Josh Jones can, or Justin Murray is good enough to slide in at one of your right guard positions, and you say, hey, we can get another veteran guard for maybe a cheap one-year, you know, say $6 million deal with maybe up to seven and a half with incentives and feel like that's an upgrade over the likes of people, you know, we can then cut him, save some of that extra money, and maybe attach it to getting a really quality center. The kind of cat and mouse game that you have of building into those things will be very interesting because I think since we haven't seen anything like this before, we've seen guys who hold out for long times, who are trying to get healthy, who, you know, like the easy one to think of here is just a Drake Kirkpatrick, the, the typical kind time sign. It's going to be interesting if, is this going to be a spot where the kind time sign becomes almost like the rest of the NFL? Because you're talking about, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs went over and were in a Super Bowl where Patrick Mahomes got destroyed and they just moved on from their two starting tackles. So if those two guys at least are considered to be expendable, then the massacre that could be coming, uh, Michael Bidwell even said he expects the Cardinals to um, be aggressive in free agency, but also talked about how he feels that the talent shift in the NFL for these teams that are having to scramble to get under the cap and these teams that have a ton of cap room to be able to offer the most amount of money there may be a much, much bigger shift simply because some teams would be like, you, know, you can take the Cardinals. In a typical cap year, they probably could have just tagged Hassan Reddick for a year, brought him back and kept it easy, and just been like, all right, cool, you know, it's at $16 million. We've got an extra $18 million in a typical year. They would still be able to make some moves in free agency and try to make him do it again as insurance. Instead, he gets to go to a brand-new team, so... I think the question overall is how aggressive are the Cardinals going to be and are they going to just keep we, we talk about kicking the can down the road uh, they did that pretty much every year it seems like with whether it was Jermaine Gresham's contract whether it's been even the likes of last year we saw that with you know with Devondre Campbell Cardinals are backloading different portions of their deal to try to get in and get these quality starters and it's almost kind of at the cost of having room in future years, which will be interesting when it would come to any sort of 
Kyler Murray extension. I think kind of like to echo what you said, Seth, it really depends on if the Cardinals are going to be uber aggressive and think they can upgrade. We maybe see some of those cuts come, but it wouldn't shock me if they kind of try to run it back in a time or two simply because, you know, there may be a bit more, you know, contract flexibility of you could push back Hughes, Pure Canard's contract or deals a little bit to bring in someone versus a one-year $6 million deal. Like, you can't really do much about that except try to push some of it back to 2022. Yeah, and that's and that's and that's kind of what the question becomes for them is how do you want to attack this? Uh, you know, the interesting thing is as as you were saying is if they cut Pew and Kennard and there is a mass kind of cutting of of veteran players that and veteran players being told, "Hey, you're going to have to sign one-year deals." Uh, then then it makes sense. But, and I talked to somebody that's really smart with cap stuff and, and that's what they kind of hinted as there's only going to be three or four teams that really go big in free agency this year, even though that you have teams like Jacksonville and Indy and, and, and those teams that have, you know, 50 plus million in cap space in, in reality, it's smarter to play the game. This, unless you have, a complete difference maker. It's just smarter to play the game of, Hey, let's, let's wait a year. And if the cap gets back up with the 17 game season and the new uh, TV agreements, and now we're talking, you know, 220 million a year. Um, so we're talking, you know, a, a almost $40 million jump. Wouldn't it be smarter to wait and then, then pay guys out uh, and and make sure that that's all there instead of running out all that that money. And that's the thing is, you know, we talked about it outside of a outside of a Yannick Ngakwe or a, a Kenny Galladay. How I mean, how many guys are really going to be worth these massive contracts? Um, I mean, we're seeing stuff like oh, Juju Smith Schuster should get sixteen and a half million. I mean, how many teams are going to really pay a guy $16.5 million a year when he's proven that he can't be a, a, a number one receiver? Um, I just I feel like there's going to be a lot of guys that are these fringe guys, these Hassan Reddicks, these Bud Dupree's, uh, you know, those type of players that are going to get kind of, like you said, one-year, $10, $12 million contracts and then it's hey let's uh and then you know prove it again and then okay we'll pay you 15 million 16 million a year and that's kind of and shifting over to talking about some of that in free agency when it comes to the idea of team building a lot of uh, and i kind of obviously read it as a triangle like from the scouting days you look at the quality of a prospect as far as like their talent level especially talent level compared to you know, the rest of the NFL, you look at the likes of even a DeAndre Hopkins being truly a difference maker, a guy who like, there's so few human beings in the world who can go out and have like, you know, a 1400 yard season primarily lining up on one side of the field. You look at the, uh, the next one, which is, I'd say maybe quantity, it's not quality, quantity, but you might look at it as positional value, which I would say, which would be, if you're talking about a running back, like, you know, or linebackers or off-ball, even wide receivers who aren't a number one difference maker. You think of these, you know, 
a small slot receiver like a Braxton Berrios, let's say, there's going to be a high quantity of those types of players that are there and a lower positional value on what they do. So that's something that factors. And the last one, then, at least, is the value that you're able to get them at, which is something that we've seen as Steve Keim has always put a huge emphasis on trying to find value, whether it's in acquiring players on these kind of time one-year deals, whether it's, you know, even the Josh Rosen acquisition was uh, for a first and a third was the, the trade-up. You know, you can say, all right, yeah, you, you got at least that type of player. It's, that's great value overall. The question, I think, at least comes down then is, if all of a sudden all of this quantity and all these kind of positions become available for all of these veterans, are you going to be able to add additional quality, add additional value to kind of create this, you know, uh, elite type of team? What we did see with a few teams in the past, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were able to do is have a surplus of talent on essentially a much more valuable amount of deal, especially at some of these difference maker level positions. Like, you know, you have, Leonard Fournette taking a lot less than, say, the Panthers are paying Christian McCaffrey. You're having Tom Brady on the two-year deal that he's restructuring now reportedly to try to help keep guys in. It's just kind of that balance, that three-way balance that the teams have. And I'll be very curious to see if the quality of these veteran free agents that is out there is high enough of a value that Steve Kime feels he can strike and if that strike would you know, potentially cost you some very familiar faces on the card sideline. Yeah, and you know, you look at at situations, and uh, you know, we've seen guys go to Kansas City, we've seen guys go to Green Bay, we've seen uh, guys go to, as you said, Tampa Bay, but that has to be the right situation. And so, something that you guys have talked about is uh, is JJ Watt that going to create that situation for the Cardinals, and that's that's the biggest question that you have in the Watt signing is if he's a guy that will then influence defensive players um, or offensive players to come play on a discount in in Arizona, uh, understanding that, Hey, this is, we're doing this for two years. Like I'm here for two years. This is what we're doing for two years. Uh, You know, will you be willing to, to take a, take a $7 million, you know, pay cut and chip in. Um, and that's, that's the hardest part. And the, and the question that has to be asked with their team building, because as you said, if they're able to do that, it's a no brainer, but it, you know, very few teams are able to, to execute that, uh, and, and get it to work for them because, you know, outside of new England and then obviously Tampa Bay this year, you typically have to have somebody named Tom Brady uh, <laughs> on on the other on the, your sideline to be like, hey, we really got a chance to win this, right? And that's kind of the spot of where the Cardinals are with expectations of uh, feeling where if the fans are expecting at least after what last season went, playoffs went from being kind of a hope or a dream to being an expectation, and when that was not achieved, it I think expedited some of the process for what fans are looking for with that in mind let's take a look at the uh, free agent market because the current needs for the cardinals are they have not been able to you know re-sign anyone who would be at a starting caliber level 
So, uh, you know, obviously, like, no, no offense to Tanner Vallejo there, obviously. You tweeted out a while back if Deshaun Watson decided to, you know, end up saying, yeah, sure, trade me to the Niners and the Texans accepted it. Was there any sort of move the Cardinals could make that would essentially be a worthy enough counterpunch? And I think that there's not really anything you can say, but if, let's say that the J.J. Watt uh, idea with pairing him with Chandler Jones works out in its wildest way and gives Arizona essentially this top-notch defense that's able to force turnovers, get a whole lot of, uh, you know, takeaways, being able to be productive in that regard. It's probably maybe the closest thing that you can have as far as that type. Obviously, it's, it wouldn't, I think, at least be able to offset how good the Niners are currently with adding a high-caliber quarterback to that team. But the areas I think that could be interesting to look at is if you took a look at the spots that need upgrades. Coming into the season, we talked about how they needed help at two of their corner spots at least, as well as wide receiver, obviously wide receiver two. The other ones that were interesting, I think, that weren't as prevalent at first, uh, the third one I had was nose tackle. The, just being able to add someone in there who's a nose tackler, a defensive tackle, they kind of at least did address maybe some of the defensive tackle if you're picturing Watt as a guy who, you know, maybe he's on edge and some of these um, passing or rushing down slides into be more of a three technique. What I thought was interesting was that studying some of the film of the season, I felt like they needed a lot more help when it came to the center position and a lot more help at the tight end position. Now, obviously, they don't really have a starting running back after Chase Edmonds on the roster, considering that Eno Benjamin and uh, I believe it's um, was it Ward, uh, Jonathan Ward, they need to address that at some point. Those are pretty easy to find as far as a veteran. I think it comes down to how do you address knowing what Steve Keim does with his rosters is he goes into each season and tries to kind of fill the hole at least one of the different spots to give him the best possible chance at whoever he's going to draft with his pick, whether it's trade back or whether it's trying to make a sort of move. He tries to kind of at least have a complete enough team where if that rookie has to sit for all 16 games, it's not like that they've got a open and gaping hole on the roster where that rookie is, you know, forced to play any sooner than they would have to. Obviously injuries spell that to be different. Just look at Byron Murphy, for example. But how are the Cardinals going to be able to address all of these different needs that they have of, like, corner? Uh, obviously, center was one that we didn't see as a need for the team. And suddenly, after looking at film with how Mason Cole was playing in the comments, it seemed like it became a lot more prevalent. What would be your ranking for, as far as individual team importance, of where should the Cardinals strike first to try to fill in some of these needs? Because some of them are going to be much easier to fill than others, such as, you know, you can bring in the likes of a, you know, running back who's an older veteran to pair with Chase. You can bring in another nose tackle to rotate. I mean, you can probably find even a inside linebacker that you like on a one-year deal, but how are the Cardinals going to address, and what would be your order as far as importance that you would put on some of those positions, and who would be some of the free agents we can kind of look at to fill them? You know, it'll be interesting because I think to start with, you look at the at the cornerback position. And that's clearly, you know, the biggest red flag on the whole team. They, they only have one NFL caliber corner. Um, the, the problem becomes that there are levels of guys, you know, I think William Jackson is the top guy. Um, but you know, again, he might cost too much. So then you go to the kind of next level or tier 
And you look at a guy like um, Ronald Darby, and you look at Darby and you go, okay, that might make sense. I mean, that might be a guy that comes in and is able to, um, you know, be the top guy and, and at a cheaper price. Um, you know, Jackson's market value, if you just kind of go off of uh spot track and whether or not you agree with that is uh, another conversation or not. But, um, you know, you can look at those guys and Jackson, you know, is they set his market at, at 6.3, but then you go to pro football focus and they have him at like 13, uh, Darby, they have it like nine, two, and then pro football focus has him, I think at like eight or something like that. So, so you look at Darby and he's likely to command a little less, but what about an older guy that, that maybe needed a new spot and had a good year in Indianapolis and Xavier Rhodes? I mean, a guy like Rhodes, you could probably get him on a contract similar to what you paid Robert Alford, three years, $22 million, uh, guarantee 12 of it or so. That, that could be something that you're able to look at and, and kind of get, and, and that immediately fills that hole. Uh, but needing two corners makes it really difficult because, you know, again, we just talked about three guys. And if you sign two of them, you're looking at anywhere from 15 million a year to 20 million a year for both of them. And that basically they're, they're sitting at, I think 21 and a half million um, in, in, in cap space. So now that that can change too. Like all it takes is if the Cardinals do decide that Chandler Jones, they want to extend him. If he's willing to be extended versus, you know, potentially looking at a payday and free agency next year, there's other ways they could at least move some of that cap around. I think it's just going to be interesting to see, because like you said, it's not that the cap is totally um, just made up. I mean, maybe, maybe the saints are trying to prove that this year. Um, with trying to franchise tag a player, but it does seem like there's at least some aspect that if you want to get a player, you at least are having the flexibility right now to keep them. I think some of that comes down to the fact that since your quarterback's on a rookie QB deal, you have a lot of flexibility to kind of kick the can down the road for a few years and try to get in some of these types of players. And even still, there's players we haven't even talked about. Like Janoris Jenkins was released from the team just earlier this afternoon. There may be three or four more players who all get released before the official start of the league year um, that we don't even like, we, we may not even have mentioned the one of the starting cornerbacks that the Cardinals have, but just looking even at the market right now, it, it's, it's not likely that there's going to be, you know, elite level talent that's out there because even the team like the saints who maybe don't want to pay the likes of a Marshawn Lattimore as far as, you know, with how all their cap concerns are for what he may be demanding, it may be more prudent just to keep him on the roster if they do have it or try to get something um, in terms of being able to replace him. What do you think as far as when it comes to some of those different places or talents? The corner, obviously, is number one. The one I think that's been most interesting to me, at least before we can talk about center of the offensive line, would be the wide receiver group. What are your thoughts? Maybe if you have something else to say on the corners, you can finish that if I cut you off. But the receiver group this year, it seems like, like you said, you mentioned Galladay's the payday guy. Um, most of the other guys who were expected to hit were tagged. Corey Davis is a unique name, but when it comes to team building, are the Cardinals going to 
be paying however many like is that something like, is that 15 16 million a year per deandre hopkins while simultaneously signing a guy to pay some 11 to 12 million dollars a year it, it does feels like that they're not quite in that tier of player that they're looking to add no and i think there's a couple that they they can look at that that would make sense um you know i think the first one that that fits what they need and is familiar with the team would be like a Brashad Perryman. Uh, you could probably get him right around that seven to $9 million range a year. Um, and, and maybe, you know, you go similar to what they did with Devondre Campbell and you do a one year, you know, $10 million deal and put three of it or four of it into next year. Uh, kind of like what they did with Devondre uh, Perryman, you know, has played well, uh, in a couple of spots, and then he's well known by the uh, the new receivers coach that the Cardinals just hired, Sean Rogers. So, I mean, those that could be a fit. Uh, Marvin Jones could be a nice veteran compliment player. Um, he's probably looking at you know eight to ten million a year. Uh, so, are you willing to pay a soon to be thirty uh, one year old uh, that type of money? Um, but you know that's again that's that's six plus million less than a Juju Smith-Schuster or a Corey Davis that you just mentioned. I mean, who are I would say better players, but I wouldn't say they're uh, seven to you know ten million dollars a year better players. And then I think the most interesting one to me and another veteran that you could probably get on a two-year, you know. 20 ish million dollar deal would be a ty hilton um you know he's coming off a down year they're transitioning to uh carson wentz you know as their quarterback but and and so they'll probably bring in some different guys hilton would be a really nice compliment to what they have in hopkins he's a multiple guy in terms of where he can line up uh, and he's still got some juice he just doesn't have that juice to be the number one guy on the roster anymore. I think I think the wide receiver position is a really interesting one, as you said, because there's these tiers in in you know, you want to bring in a Kenny Galladay. That's great. Like, um, are you are you going to pay him 19 million a year? I, I, there's just no way. Um, you know, and then there's one other name I forgot to mention that I'd be remiss if I I didn't and just because I know it fires up Cardinals fans when we talk about it is, is Nelson Aguilar, who <laughs> is, is going to, is available. Uh, he'll be 28 this year. You could probably get him on a, a two year, 20, you know, 20 ish million dollar deal, maybe a three year, $27 million type of deal. Um, he, he performed well in, in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, <laughs> they could have had him in a first round pick for Patrick yeah. Peterson. So uh, maybe they correct that mistake. But, you know, it's just going to be a really interesting offseason to see how these guys go because are they willing, you know, one, are these guys willing to play for one-year deals to make go make more money next year? Or on the flip side, are the Cardinals willing to spend, you know, like you said, I think they Hopkins is on the hook for what, like, 20 million next year or this year. Um, so can they have, can they have 
forty million basically tied up in two wide receivers. That'll be what's interesting to kind of to follow along with. Yeah, and it, only if you're on a rookie quarterback deal. That's like the only type of uh, reason why I think that any uh, not just fans but uh, even team building would uh, be interested with that. Obviously, the other one that I think at least sticks out when you're talking about Aguilar, the other thing when it comes to team fit, is it going to work for the team to want to take Christian Kirk you know, away from that outside number two role to move to the slot? Fitzgerald obviously seems to dictate some of that as he's been relegated to a primarily uh, slot receiver role. Uh, the one thing that's interesting, I think, as far as names go, is that there's two guys who, you know, I, without mentioning the likes of a Richard Sherman who is far as price tag goes it's a big name uh, as far as the fit and ability will be interesting uh, two of these guys who i would consider to be health boomer busts as far as the position would be uh will fuller the uh, ironically obviously texans wide receiver who is impactful at least he was essentially the number one for watson this year was kind of hot or cold since most of his route tree being vertically stemming obviously there's a big difference obviously the uh, fact he's able to open stuff up is good, but he had obviously a PED suspension. You're talking about um, missing, I believe, the first game of the year would be part of serving that. Maybe not as much attention. And the other would be the Niners corner Jason Verrett, who had an impressive uh, showing against DeAndre Hopkins in that second uh, game of the season against the San Francisco 49ers. Um, when it comes to taking risks on guys who've had some of these type of injury history, you know, we talk about availability is the one thing that is super important to a prospect that is almost never talked about. Is this a move where the Cardinals would be better off taking kind of a shot on a ch for the bit of a cheaper price to hope for the best and potentially see a huge boom? Or are we kind of starting to go down more of that Robert Alford road again where you suddenly are, you know, talking about a guy who hasn't played uh, any type of snaps compared to the production because, like you said, the Cardinals are not going to be in the market for this, you know, 1,100, 1,400 wide receiver, which would be your, you know, Kenny Galladay expectations. They're going to be in the market for this 700 to maybe eight or 900 type, which is the Aguilar mark. Um, Marvin Jones, right? Even Emmanuel Sanders with having, what was it? He had was knocked up throughout the season he had, you know, about 60 catches, over 700 yards, and five touchdowns, which would be essentially the, you know, second greatest, uh, was the third greatest season an Arizona Cardinals receiver has had over the last two seasons, uh, not named DeAndre Hopkins. So clearly the Cardinals have almost nowhere to go but up bringing in some of these guys. Do you think that they're better off to try to swing for the fences and try to get lucky there, or are you talking about maybe the team having to be more prudent and trying to say we, we can't afford to just have a guy sitting on the sideline when we've got these needs and are trying to win now. Uh, you know, it, you go back and forth. I think the right guy um, with the right risk makes sense. Um, that, that's why the first guy I brought up was Perryman. Cause I feel like, I feel like from a, a boom bust standpoint, he's what you're talking about. But I feel like from a what they need, what he's going to be asked to do, and the coach that just got done coaching him knows about him, you have to feel confident and comfortable that it would be the right decision. Um, you know, from there, yeah, it, it, 
starts to get foggy. Like I, I like CY Hilton. Uh, you know, I've said that I, I think he makes the most sense. He's, you know, to your point of being a little banged up, a little older. Yes. But he's a consistent performer. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders would be in the same type of vein. Uh, I, I think those guys make more sense at that, at this point, obviously, if you're not going to be able to go get a, you know, Galladay or, or Smith Schuster, or even a Will Fuller who, I mean, Will Fuller is expected to make 17 million a year. Which is just, I, that's just kind of crazy to think about with, you know, some of these players, maybe they end up having to take a down year or go like, I, some people talked about Fuller going to the Green Bay Packers, who reportedly sniffed around, had some interest. Maybe now that they don't have to give up a draft pick for him, that could be another spot, you know, just to, you know, see it as an upgrade to the Marquise Valdez-Scantling as far as their, you know, number two outside deep threat. Uh, let's shift kind of as we wrap up with tonight and talk a bit about the 2021 draft. Obviously, there's a lot more that you can go into with the draft. We'll have a lot more in the future. And uh, clearly, you having the original Draft Breakdown podcast coming back, you're going to be having... Uh, not wanting to spill all of the tea, I guess, over here in something like this, but what's kind of the overall feeling of the draft right now? And then even with what we talked about with the Cardinals, if we kind of paint together an offseason where they're able to, you know, address at least as many of these needs as possible, you know, we haven't even talked about what we think may be the Cardinals' first move, either from what either it's heard or what we're expecting, which would be trying to go and chase after upgrading that center position and maybe sliding, you know, it, it just feels like for whatever reason the Cardinals seem to love draft a guy at center and then shift him over to guard, which would be another year of doing that under Steve Kime. What do we look at as far as with the draft, with what's kind of the general consensus? What are Cardinals fans expecting? Because from what I see, at least overall, Seth, it seems like that this is a deep draft and some of the positions that the Cardinals, you know, could need help with, or maybe even as we've seen, we talked about Josh Jones shifting over. You mentioned, I think, on your show with Jess Root this uh, earlier this week about moving Josh Jones into guard because you're expecting it to be a really, really good draft at offensive tackle. What's kind of the overall general consensus and feeling of this class? Because this is uh, the first time in a while I think the Cardinals fans have not had to worry about a top 10 pick but also been away from the first round and when you're kind of smacking no man's land like this, you kind of end up with a lot of mixed feelings because you feel like you're just outside of being able to add a true difference maker while not necessarily this late first, oh, this is a guy who we feel like could be a value pick here, this result. What are kind of some of the things you're hearing about this draft? What are some of the feedback and what can Cardinals fans expect? I think when you look at it, the first thing that jumps out is that it's heavy at quarterback but after and wide receiver, but after that, the the you know quote unquote premium positions are are question mark. Um, the the interesting thing is you have one offensive tackle projected to go in the top ten. You have no edge rushers projected to go in the top maybe fifteen, maybe twenty, depending on what what your opinion of Quiddy Pay, the the edge rusher from Michigan, is. Um, and so. I mean, we could be talking, we could be talking about a, a draft class that's heavy in terms of, you know, wide receivers and um, a tight end in Kyle Pitts and, and, you know, no real difference makers along the defensive front um, outside of inside linebackers, you know, going early. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, 
guys that are question marks about where they're going to play in the NFL. Uh, Christian Darsaw, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, Rashawn Slater are all guys that are being looked at as not only, um, you know, potential tackles, but what about, uh, what about guards? And, and so that's, you know, those are the names that you're, you're seeing a lot. The, the other thing is, and you brought it up when you look at where the Cardinals sit at 16, there's tiers, at least, you know, right now, obviously as we dive in deeper, we'll see where these guys are at, but like there's the, there's the first tier of, of wide receivers. So you have uh, Jamar chase, Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle. You, you just kind of put those guys in a bag and mix them up and pull one out. And you're, you know, you're going to have one of the top receivers. Um, and then at cornerback, you have you have uh, Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan, the second as your top corners, and so then you get to sixteen, and those guys are gone. Um, where do you go? Do you take a flex guy like a, a Elijah Vera Tucker or a Christian Derisau? Uh, do you take a guy like J.C. Horn, who's semi the consensus third corner in this draft or do you go to the next tier of wide receivers or do you start to look at okay what's the who's the best you know safety who's the best linebacker who's the best you know uh running back who's you know what what about other positions what about the best defensive tackle because one hasn't been drafted yet uh that's that's the questions you start to ask is is the third corner or the fifth wide receiver a better pick than the best you know running back or the best uh, the best defensive tackle in Christian Barmore like th- those are the questions we have uh, for this draft class and, and it's really interesting because this is without a doubt the fastest draft class we've ever seen and you can look on tape and know that that's not accurate <laughs> I mean it's but we're getting everyone running the four point ones, baby. Four point ones. I mean, we're getting these absurd four four three four two numbers. And it's just like, okay, like it at least let's, you know, be semi realistic about it. But as as Justin's pointed out on the show a couple times, uh this is these these events, these combines that are being held are being done by the prospects camp and they're being done by the guys that are being paid by the prospects. So the incentive is for them to look great. Um, and so the incentive is that, well, he ran a four, you know, who was it? Rashad Bateman. He ran a four, three, seven. I think Rashad Bateman's really good. I have even talked about him being a good fit at 16 for the Cardinals. If they, address other needs in free agency. Yeah, he, he reminds me of a mini Hopkins as far as, like, it's hard to be able to, like, say, but when you look at the body control, when he catches the yards after catch, and then the fact that he's a little bit of a slighter frame, but still has acceleration, you're like, yeah, you, you can kind of see a little bit of the Hopkins lamb, a guy who could line up outside or be able to thrive in the slot. So then it's, all right, do you take that guy as maybe the wide receiver four, or do you take you know, the linebacker one, and that's where I think the team fit and talent where the draft always comes in because 
teams are always going to be totally different as far as for team fits and how they grade talent, I think, is the bigger thing that we've seen the Cardinals seem to struggle with because the Cardinals, as we've talked about, will either take a player who may be talented but plug him into some of the wrong spot at times. Uh, obviously, Hassan Reddick is one of these types of players. Other times, you see a guy that seems like it's not going to be as great of a pick who's like DJ Humphreys where they took the best talent available. And, you know, while some injuries happen, you look back on that pick now and go, man, like, can you imagine what this Cardinals line may look like if – they hadn't gotten DJ Humphreys back when they did in 2015. Yeah, and that's where it'll be interesting because you know we're we're to a point where the premium positions are are down in this draft in terms of top tier talent, but there are a ton of guys, and you mentioned it, that feel like they fit in that 20 to 50 range. And so you say, okay, well, do you want to go, you know, do you want to take a guy that's maybe, you know, the 23rd or 24th overall player in this draft, you know, take him at 16, a couple spots early, but like you said, he's a team fit. So you go get a JC Horn or you go get a, uh, you know, you go get a, a Elijah Vera Tucker, you know, maybe they're not top 16 talents, but they fit what you need and they, they would be immediate, you know, kind of plug plug in or yeah, plug and play guys. Or do you go, Hey, the best talent on the board is Najee Harris. Like that's gotta be the pick. Like I, I know it's a running back and, but Najee Harris is, you know, a Le'Veon Bell esque type of player uh, who could potentially be an all pro. I mean, I think was it Jeremiah the other day? I can't remember. One of the big draft guys was talking about that they were having the conversation about who was the best Bama running back of the past uh, decade, and it was between Derrick Henry, Henry and Najee Harris. Like, hmm. so if you're going to get a Derrick Henry level type of impact, I mean, isn't that even though he plays running back, isn't that the guy you want? Like, I just. I, you just look at it, and, and so the Cardinals are in a weird spot because they're at 16, but I think they're going to have a lot of options. I think, as you said, it's going to be interesting to see where they focus that team building on um, and, and how they go about it more than anything else. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the biggest thing, like you even said, is when you're talking about the fit being important versus talent, there's going to be positions of people who have a guy as a top prospect. Uh, we, you can see people even across the board. Most people don't even seem to have a consensus wide receiver one in this class because some people are saying, well, wide receiver one's Kyle Pitts because you look at him and he says he's a tight end, but if you play him at the Jimmy Graham role, I mean, he's an offensive weapon receiver. That's something where you can see how people are just going to be all mixed up where I think that the talent's going to be consistent in – these kind of top maybe 14 or 15 players where people will agree on there and maybe positional talent or some kind of crazy stuff. Cause there's always something weird that happens every single year in the draft. Like you, you can look at a Cleland Farrell that goes early or a, a Daniel Jones going at six. There's always something that seems to happen that pushes a player down a spot or two. I think it's going to be interesting to see if the Cardinals end up in that position where one of these top talents who's a fit falls where it's, you know, the, the Cowboys did not expect C.D. Lamb to fall to them at pick 17. It was an easy pick for them because of where they had him on the board. If that happens for the Cardinals, I, well, that's that's great. That, I think, is best case. But like you said, if we remove that from the equation, 
Then you kind of get into, are you looking to add a strength or what would be one of the more difficult spots to try to find and fill? Such as, let's say, hey, like, we need to get another receiver to pair. Kirk is in his contract here. We're probably not going to bring him back at that cost. Let's go ahead and get a receiver, even if he's the wide receiver for now, or, you know, picking versus taking a, you know, the cornerback three that like J.C. Horn, but we don't really love him. That, I think, is going to be the question. Or if, like you say, they take a look completely off of the and go with a, a total outside-of-the-box type of move, such as, you know, drafting an offensive lineman to sit for a year or, you know, taking a, a, a running back. Jeremiah also, speaking of running backs, I think he talked about wanting to put, like, debating about putting Javante Williams ahead of a Najee Harris, which I thought was fascinating because while I like Williams' ability as far as, like, not just his size, elusiveness, like, he breaks tackles and makes guys miss and was just so explosive. But his vision is not necessarily what I would call NFL level. Like, it's not quite the... He's more likely to make a David Johnson, you know, make a guy miss and cut to the outside big play versus being a guy who cuts up front in the middle of reading his blocks properly. That's something I think that's going to be interesting because we've seen in the past the Cardinals, as we kind of get the last thing right tonight, do we have a lot of confidence in where they're at as far as this team to be able to, you know, make enough of a pick that's a difference maker considering the fact that, you know, most people even talked about how the Cardinals' first-line picks over the past few years – has not been great. If the Cardinals don't have this magic talent that falls to them on, let's say that they're not able to, you know, trade back or at least be able to say, hey, we, we got an Elijah Vera Tucker, we traded back to, you know, pick 21, we're able to add him and also add a third round pick. Oh, okay, that's, that, that'll check off two boxes there, getting a, another shot of a player and being able to at least add a player. Where do you think that we go? Because I think a lot of people are looking at Steve Keim, and Johnny at least, is, he thinks the Cardinals are almost dead set on taking a running back at 16 specifically because he feels like that they're going to kind of make a reach for the pick no matter what they do. Do you think Cardinals fans can have confidence that Keim seems to be learning or riding some of the ship, or is there still going to be concern there? I mean, I think there's always concern there because he hasn't proven he can draft consistently. I mean, the, the pro football focus rankings, and those are subjective to pro football focus, obviously, but I mean, he's literally the worst drafter of the last five years. There's, there's not, and, and the only reason he's as close to being not last is because of Kyler Murray, which was only been in the league two years. I mean, that's, that's really, really bad. Um, and so you look at it and it's just, I mean, it's unfortunate that that's where they're at. But until that's a consistent thing where you're seeing Isaiah Simmons, you know, play like a, a Pro Bowl player, that you're seeing, um, you know, guys like Chase Edmonds make consistent contributions and not be guys that have, you know, three big games and then we don't hear from them the rest of the season. Uh, I mean, you can put a lot of guys in that. Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella. I mean, until until you're seeing consistent production from guys, I you're going to have those questions about Kime and his drafting abilities. Uh, you know, the longer it goes on, the more questions you have. And so, I mean, you even look back to the to the Kyler Murray draft. They had the first pick in each round, and they took Kyler Murray. And then there were not just rumors, but reports that the guy they wanted, Nikhil Harry, went you know to the New England Patriots. And so they, they went with Byron Murphy. 
Murph's been fine, but it's not like he's been good. Um, you know, so you just look at it. Those are, I, I mean, pick 33 has got to be one that you get, like you said, a difference maker, not a guy, but a difference maker. And and that's where the concern has been for time. And, and let's be honest. I mean, that'll be continue to be the concern until we Absolutely. see different. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, like outside of taking another first round linebacker, I guess we'll end up seeing, but that should wrap everything up at least for us tonight. Um, I was going to go and talk a little bit about like some of the fave prospects to watch, but I think it'll just be better to save that at least since you're now back on the original draft breakdown podcast. Uh, why don't you go ahead and plug at least yourself? Um, obviously we, you're the one who writes the majority of a lot of the content of Revenge of the Birds or has been orchestrating a lot of this. So a big uh, tip of the cap to you for managing all of this amidst, uh, a pandemic obviously lots of appreciation so uh, feel free to at least be able to plug a little bit for the other content uh, for people that maybe a little taste of some of the draft stuff tonight and wanted a little bit more yeah you can find all our work uh the original draft breakdown podcast we have a patreon page uh you can subscribe to uh, we offer two dollar where you can listen to us just chatter um on a, a second show a week uh behind a Behind the paywall, we, we do do a free show every week. Um, and then a $4 one where you can see some extra stuff where you'll see uh, Justin and I's uh, written content on the draft as well as doing some um, really cool interviews with, with draft analysts and things of that nature. Uh, and then, of course, you can find Blake and, and, and my work at, at revengeofthebirds.com, the SB Nation uh, Arizona Cardinals site. Uh, it's, you know our favorite place to to get all the cardinals information you need but i think uh you get a lot of different um opinions which makes it a unique and and fun way uh to listen to and discuss arizona cardinals football absolutely thanks again for tuning in Uh, you can listen to revenge of the birds podcast again on places like spotify radio as well as um, on apple podcasts i believe also on iheart or other places where you listen we are likely to be there as well as always at revengeofthebirds.com thanks again for joining everyone we're back on the other side with me johnny will be back hopefully he'll dug his microphone out of the midst of all of the boxes at least we'll be there to talk about our first reactions to free agency starting up next week Uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing you then take care